This is a crusade. This is a holy war against the deep state. Where are the dictators? Where are the strong men? Donald Trump is our instrument for retribution. I'm going to fight for Christians. I'm going to fight for white people. They have the Great Reset. We have the Great Awakening. And why shouldn't I root for Russia? Because Which I am. I want to see these people go through misery because of their grooming against our children. After the assailant entered the home asking, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Those are the very same words used by the mob when they stormed the United States Capitol. I did nothing wrong. Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. Well, I honestly didn't think this episode was going to be necessary. I, being the silly, naive person that I am sometimes, I figured that the sexting underage boys scandal would have been the end of Ali Alexander's long and checkered career as a GOP political operative. <laughs> silly me! <laughs> it seems that Ali Alexander is back on the scene. According to Media Matters, he popped up on a live stream recently and had the following to say. You know, I was talking with a, another organizer yesterday, and, and he was like, how are you feeling today? And I was like, I'm feeling great. This is the first January 6th where I could say I'm feeling great. And I said, how are you feeling? He said, I'm feeling great too. Isn't that strange? And I said, you know, I talked to several people today, you know, people waiting trial, um, other people, you know, just in tough situations. And everyone said that this was the first January 6th where we really felt like our perspective and a whole fact set that wasn't shared a year ago that's now being shared um, is being taken into consideration. Now, I'm going to have to admit that I whiffed on this one because I did not think this was something he could come back from. But there really is no floor here. We discussed this with Robert Silverman in episode 56, and Robert's encyclopedic knowledge of the Internet's worst people allowed him to call this situation exactly. Take a listen. So after the Alex Jones appearance, Kanye's political campaign, as it were, pretty much disappears. I'm not clear from the reporting that's been done, nor have I done any on my own. But basically what it seems like it happened, according to their various you know, posts on social media, is that there was a power struggle between Milo, Ali Alexander, Nick Fuentes, to a sort of somewhat lesser degree, Laura Loomer also, mm -hmm. over who actually would be working on this campaign. And when I say working on the campaign, I mean getting to slurp deeply from the gravy train that is Kanye West paying for this <laughs> stuff. Yeah, exactly. Chief minder. Yeah, there was a fight between Milo, evidently, and Karen Jorno. Also, he billed Milo for $100,000 for consulting and various travel fees and something else. There was a question about what, what percentage of that constituted actual work. Uh, I think he only got something like 40 grand for his weekend just hanging out with Kanye. Meanwhile, this is somehow angered, you know, Ali Alexander, who feels like he should be the one leading this campaign and also presumably getting paid large sums of money to do absolutely nothing with this. Basically, there was a sugar daddy out handing out candy. And <laughs> all of these people were desperate to be the one getting the most candy. And once they started figuring out a way to elbow each other out of the paint, Milo thought now was the best time to drop receipts once he'd been sort of 
lost favor with this world and the checks stopped coming. Mm-hmm. And that's when he started publishing all of these old, you know, what appears to be uh, some of them are, uh, are on Signal, a bunch more were on Snapchat, others were, you know, Telegram messages themselves showing basically that Ali Alexander was using whatever position of authority he had and whatever clout he had in the far right movement to try to lure young men into uh, into hanging out with him. And then in a couple of occasions, as you mentioned, sending him nude photos while they were underage, which is it is grooming. Yes. Yeah. All of you people who have been screaming, OK, groomer at every at, at every gay person within their orbit or beer company or library or children's hospital that they mm-hmm. can find. Guys, we found it. El Dorado. It's right there. <laughs> this yeah. is the lost city of the Incas of groomers. And it is right in front. It was in it, the call was coming from inside the house, guys. <laughs> and now I believe that Ali has headed for the hills or at least has stopped posting. And, and he's, you know, sort of he's going to do what he always does when the fit hits the shan, which is run away until enough people forget. And then he'll he'll pop back up on the horizon. It, I mean, this is the same thing that he did when he got busted Again, the National Bloggers Club, I believe, was the name of his outfit that he was running in 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. And he was accused of siphoning money from them also and like promising all these things to all these politicians. And then once the heat gets turned up, he went away. And with Trump, he started sort of bopping back into their order. So none of this is, you know, this is all part of a pattern for Alexander. Robert, man, I got to give it to you. Your brain worms totally paid off this time. Very impressed, as always. So I guess we're going to have to do it. This is Ali Alexander's permanent record. So the first thing to know about this guy is that he wasn't always known as Ali Alexander. Luke O'Brien wrote the definitive piece on Ali, and I'll link it in the show notes, but Luke did a hell of a job digging into this guy. He was born Ali Abdul Razak Akbar in Texas. He claims that his father was an exchange student from the United Arab Emirates who abandoned him and his black mother when Alexander was a toddler. He grew up in Fort Worth, and from a very young age, he was interested in politics and the power one can achieve from political office. Quote, very early as a child, I sought power. I sought power and influence. Alexander would later say, So the guy was chasing clout from day one. That quest got derailed, however, when he got himself into some legal trouble after high school. He briefly attended the University of North Texas, but dropped out in 2006 and was arrested that year for stealing property. A month later, he was arrested again for debit card abuse. In 2007 and 2008, those charges resulted in felony convictions. And somehow he still ended up fulfilling his boyhood dream of getting into politics. The GOP had a big enough tent for young Ali, and they love it when people of color sign up because to them it proves that they aren't racist, you see. So he immediately started in with the birther conspiracy. This was the Republican smear of Barack Obama that maintained that he was born in Kenya, not Hawaii, as his birth certificate said. See, not racist at all. But they got called out for this at the time, and you can see how helpful it was for them to have a guy like Ali to run interference. How could we be racist? Here's a black guy saying it too. Checkmate, libs. Got me. Totally owned. 
So Ali rose fast in the GOP, and by 2009, he was attending CPAC, which is the Conservative Political Action Conference. And it was the only conference like that back then, so it was a real who's who of right-wing superstars. His rise coincided with the birth of a new right-wing movement called the Tea Party. And while we've discussed them on this podcast before, here's a quick refresher. The Tea Party was a right-wing backlash to the election of Barack Obama. And it wouldn't be wrong to think of this movement as sort of a proto-MAGA, because this is where a lot of the narrative came from. This is definitely one of the points where culture war became the order of the day. Alexander worked on Tea Party news sites and helped Tea Party candidates boost their online presence. And the Tea Party did really well in the 2010 midterms, which pretty much locked the GOP into this particular trajectory. The money flowed in, and people like Ali reaped the benefits. We're trying to determine what role, if any, a longtime Republican operative named Mike Roman is playing in your campaign, either officially or unofficially, and what role does Matt McBain have in your campaign? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, I can uh, have I can have people get back to you on uh, on that. Uh, as you know, we have hundreds of volunteers from uh, all over the country who have uh, worked in different uh, campaigns at different levels, and uh, like all other parties, uh, uh, they have uh, they have experience working on on other campaigns. So, are they working with you or not? Sorry, I I, I don't want this to count as my follow up. I just are, are they working on your campaign? Yes or no? Yeah. Well, as I said, we have hundreds of volunteers from all across the country who have a wide variety of experiences at different levels. Uh, uh, on campaigns like other parties do. One thing I noticed when I was researching this was the name Mike Roman, who happens to be in the news again lately. This is from the Philadelphia Inquirer. A Philadelphia GOP campaign operative was among 18 allies of former President Donald Trump indicted with him on Monday in a sweeping racketeering case accusing them of seeking to overturn the results of Georgia's 2020 election. Mike Roman, who served as director of Election Day operations for Trump's 2020 re-election campaign, was charged by a state grand jury with seven counts, including racketeering conspiracy and conspiracies to commit forgery, to impersonate a public officer, to commit false statements, and to file false documents. Roman's role as one of the chief implementers of Trump's plan to organize slates of so-called fake electors in battleground states has been well documented in investigations by federal authorities and congressional probes. He's what Hunter S. Thompson used to refer to as a brutal fixer. He's the guy that you call when you need some rat fucking done or you want to absolutely wreck your political opponents. And he saw something in the young man from Texas. This is again from Luke O'Brien's piece. Early in his career, Alexander appears to have come to the attention of Mike Roman, the head of Charles and David Koch's competitive intelligence team, a surveillance and intelligence gathering unit that the Koch Industries brothers used to monitor and counteract liberal groups and activists. Roman, one of Alexander's first Twitter followers, took to occasionally boosting the young operative's account. Roman would go on to work for Trump first in 2016 to oversee election protection and later in the White House, where his duties were shrouded in secrecy, according to Politico. On Election Day in 2020, Roman tweeted viral disinformation about Democratic voter fraud and was among the first people to amplify the Stop the Steal hashtag. As an aside, I highly recommend Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail by Hunter Thompson. Hunter was a huge political junkie and It's his perspective on the 1972 presidential campaign, and it's great stuff. So going back to Luke O'Brien's Huffington Post piece. 
In 2011, Alexander found his way to the heart of the GOP's Minority Rule Project when the Leadership Institute, a conservative grassroots training organization in Washington, invited Alexander, who was still on probation for debit card abuse, to give a presentation about online fundraising. The organization's notable alumni include former Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and violent pro-Trump neo-Nazi Matthew Heimbach who told HuffPost in 2016 that the Leadership Institute had trained, quote, this entire next generation of white nationalists, unquote. <laughs> now that's fascinating. Mitch, Ali, and Matty Himes all came out of the same organization. Funny old world. Good evening, everyone. I'm Camille Whitworth. We've been busy keeping you up to date on your commitment 2014 election results. We have just gotten word from the Associated Press that Bill Cassidy has won this race. We want to go to our anchor, Sulla Kim, who's standing by in Baton Rouge for us right now at Cassidy headquarters. Sulla? Hi, Camille. You know, the party was started around 7.30 tonight, and it is just getting underway. It's getting livelier as the night is going on. As you can see, this is the private room where all his closest fans and supporters and donors have been gathering. It's been picking up, picking up momentum, getting steam as night is going on here. You can see Cassidy was in there earlier today. He shook hands. Uh, he said thank you to all his supporters, mingled a little bit. Then I saw him walk out of the room, and he just went upstairs about 15 minutes ago with his family. Uh, he went upstairs, but he seemed pretty confident. He was smiling. He had a team of his campaign managers and family and friends behind him, but he was smiling and he looked very confident. Apparently, that's how he was all day as well. And again, as you mentioned, AP just announcing that Bill Cassidy has won this runoff election. That means that the Republicans now gained 54-seat majority in the new Congress. This is a sweeping change dramatically across the state and across the South here, and Louisianians definitely have spoken tonight. One of Ali's first big rat-fucking projects took place in Louisiana in 2014. He teamed up with James O'Keefe, formerly of Project Veritas, <laughs> as well as Gavin McGinnis, who founded a little group called the Proud Boys, to go after Senator Mary Landro, who is a three-time incumbent Democratic senator, entering a runoff with a strong Republican challenger in Bill Cassidy. They released a heavily edited Sting video in which they did the Project Veritas trick of surreptitiously filming some normal everyday event and implying something really terrible had happened. The video, combined with some misleading robocalls and a whole lot of Koch Brothers money, accomplished its goal, and Ali Alexander cemented his reputation as a rising star. In 2016, as the nomination of Donald Trump for president pushed the GOP into a new era of social media-fueled extremism, Ali was primed and ready. This is where he dropped Akbar and went to Alexander. He joined a burgeoning crew of propagandists and white nationalists orbiting Steve Bannon, who was the chief executive of Trump's campaign. In an ironic twist, a similar provocateur by the name of Milo Yiannopoulos became a friend. So did Breitbart writer Mike Mahoney, a.k.a. Mike Ma, who wrote a book called Harassment Architecture, which was a huge hit with the eco-fascist set. He also became friends with Lucian Wintrich, a.k.a. Twinks for Trump, who would soon become the White House correspondent for the Gateway Pundit, also known as one of the worst disinformation sources out there. They've pushed voter fraud lies, promoted Stop the Steal, and published propaganda from the Oath Keepers, who are an anti-government militia group, whose members were involved in the storming of the Capitol on January 6, 2021. 
In fact, the leadership of the Oath Keepers were charged and convicted of seditious conspiracy and will be spending the next several decades in federal prison. Here's a clip of Ali and Lucian demonstrating their commitment to fair and unbiased coverage by talking to millennial Matt Colligan, he of Adolf Hitler did nothing wrong fame, as well as being the guy with the mustache in that photo of Unite the Right from Charlottesville. You know the one from the Torchlight March. Tonight, uh, we're going to have uh, a real conversation or a fake one, who knows. But um, we got two uh, gentlemen who are uh, extremely funny in their own right. Lucian's fake funny. Matt's uh, real funny, and uh, you guys know I don't like really complimenting uh, some of these fringe nationalist uh, guys, which I'm a nationalist, Lucian's a nationalist, but what we want to do is just have a discussion between uh, three guys and uh, let you guys in on it. They're saying my volume's low. So, I, it's very low. That's, so I we'll, just keep, we'll keep going with it, but we're just going to have a frank conversation. Not many things are off topic, but, you know, we did agree before the show that we're not going to be uh, uh, mean. We're not going to be super racist. Funny racist is a whole different story. And, uh, and uh, for the most part, uh, we're going to leave uh, ethnicities alone, but there's no problem talking about power structures and people who control certain industries and stuff like that. So, um, so Matt, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing tonight? Wonderful. I think uh, simply I'm a, I'm a nationalist and, um, you know, I just so happen to be a white male. Um, <laughs> you say that with almost a uh, uh, smirking coincidence? I don't know. I mean, it is a coincidence. You know, I'm, uh, I'm a white male and I'm a nationalist. So that might make me a white nationalist, I guess. Um, I simply just, I really like to um, push buttons and... There is clearly a anti-white sentiment um, in the mainstream, and it's sort of like you know they, they taught us in in elementary school that oh you know white people were evil to black people and just evil 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 throughout history, and you know there's you can only you know you can only tell kids that so long until you know they become adults and they start you know feeling uh, this this anti-white sentiment to this, you know, everything that they've been taught, they're just sort of acting out. And so, um, you know, I'm, I just, I like to push back against that. And, um, you know, I've, I love history. I've been, I've been learning a lot about our past as Americans, but also world history, um, particularly World War II. And I've found that there's just been a lot of, um, you know, a lot of lies and a lot that we just simply you know, haven't been told that I think is crucial to understanding our current predicament in the United States, um, but also, uh, you know, the world. Mm. Yeah, Matt's really nice. <laughs> He's moved on to bigger and better things like working with the Idaho Republican Party and allegedly informing on Nick Fuentes and the Groypers for the FBI. Above all, however, Ali honed his grift, kept his eyes on the prize, and managed to grab the right-wing brass ring, so to speak. This is from Politico. Ali Alexander, a 33-year-old political operative who previously went by the name Ali Akbar, has become an increasingly prominent pro-Trump voice on Twitter and in video live streams, during which he rails against feminist lawyer Gloria Alred and lauds Kanye West. On the eve of the 2016 election, Robert Mercer donated $60,000 to a PAC that Alexander advises. 
Alexander, who identifies himself as Black and Arab, brings a more New Age approach to the culture wars, calling himself, quote, an interpreter of energy for this period, unquote. Yes, Ali started getting that Mercer money. Achievement unlocked. Now, nobody besides Ali knows exactly where that money went, and the man does have expensive tastes. However, Ali has been a big fan of Bitcoin and since Bitcoin, and is known for moving it a lot of it around, between his various LLCs and packs, so he doesn't exactly make himself easy to track. Let's just say he's a walking argument for campaign finance reform. In early 2018, it came out that Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey was meeting with Ali, of all people, supposedly about conservative free speech. This is from Breitbart. The CEO of Twitter and Square, Jack Dorsey, and I have been talking for the past several months, declared Akbar in a statement. I personally like him, but that matters less than the talks we're having about a shared future where people with different beliefs can exist on the same platform. This is experimental. This is new. We have a goal for an outcome, but we have to find a way there. Twitter should belong to everyone. Cohabitation will require new methods from all of us, he continued, adding, I appreciate Jack listening to some of my concerns affecting conservatives on the most important communications platform in the world, Twitter. Now, Dorsey was criticized rightly at this time for letting this shifty little grifter have his ear, but looking back, this is simply another one of Jack's missteps leading up to eventually selling the platform to Elon, apartheid Clyde Musk. Somehow, Ali had found a way to worm his way into another power center. Pretty intense for taking security, uh, very, 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 um, yeah, and just going, of course, yeah, no, I'm literally wearing the bulletproof vest right now. Yeah, I don't think we're gonna need it, but you know, you can never take Jimmy Marco, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, all right, in 2019. Ali teamed up with Laura Loomer and Jacob Wall to investigate vague allegations about Minnesota Congressman Ilhan Omar, but in reality, the whole thing came off as another excuse to fundraise from their ever-gullible supporters. We were even treated to the ridiculous visual of Ali Alexander walking around their Airbnb while wearing a bulletproof vest. Once again, Ali's talent for creating a spectacle, and his utter lack of shame, became his most effective money-making skills. Ali Alexander, national organizer for Stop, Stop, uh, Stop the Steal. Us. Uh, good to see you, Ali. Thanks so much for, for coming on. Uh, there's so much to really go through here. These swing states. I, I think of Michigan right now. I believe that's the latest one. What are you hearing there? What are you seeing? Well, we're hearing a lot of irregularities. Unfortunately, the Trump campaign is collecting reports of fraud. We're empowering voters to take uh, their civil rights very seriously and putting these in front of ju judges. But we're also collecting that information at stopthesteal.us. Sean, I think that this is the biggest steal that we've ever seen. Uh, you know, I'm reminded that JFK actually stole the White House from Nixon, and Nixon graciously conceded, as they say in D.C. circles, Donald Trump's a fighter, and we're here in Washington to back him up, bringing thousands and thousands and thousands of people this Saturday for our march. Stop the Steal was originally the brainchild of longtime GOP rat fucker Roger Stone during the 2016 Republican primary. The idea was that the party establishment was going to do everything possible to prevent Donald Trump from getting the party's nomination for president. Thus, Stop the Steal was Roger's idea for a pushback campaign. 
It was briefly revived in Florida for the 2018 gubernatorial and senatorial races, but it really caught fire on September 7th, 2020, when Ali went live in a now-deleted Periscope broadcast as his fellow information terrorist Jack Posobiec began pushing the hashtag. Alexander said he was compiling a database of Trump supporters that he can dispatch to election offices to interfere in the ballot counting. He later released a website and an app to build that database. He said, at the time, quote, In the coming days, we will launch an effort concentrating on the swing states, and we will map out where the votes are being counted and the Secretary of State's. We will map all of this out for everyone publicly, and we will collect cell phone numbers so that way, if you are within a 100-mile radius of a bad Secretary of State or someone who's counting votes after the deadline, or if there's a federal court hearing, we'll alert all of you where to go, unquote. Just hours later, pro-Trump Facebook pages, possibly run by Alexander or Posobiec or others involved, began using the phrase, stop the steal as well. JustSecurity.com has a great timeline of events related to stop the steal and I'll link it the show notes as well. In the weeks to come, Trump himself endorsed the idea that the Democrats were planning to steal the election, and he made that allegation one of the main pieces of his campaign to confirm Amy Comey Barrett for the Supreme Court vacancy created after the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The rhetoric continued to escalate in the days leading up to the election, and when Trump lost on November 3rd, all hell broke loose. Groups such as the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers made threats to the incoming president-elect, and Ali began to collect names and donations from his Stop the Steal website. He, along with conspiracy theorist Alex Jones, fellow provocateur Weird Mike Cernovic, and young neo-Nazi Nick Fuentes, also staged rallies in Washington, D.C., Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Michigan in order to try and get pro-Trump slates of electors sent to Congress from those states. The speeches at these rallies got extremely heated and concerning. This is a battle between good and evil. We're here for a fair and honest election. Hey, let me hear you today. We're going to get loud. The vote was not legitimate. We want a fair and transparent vote for the American people, and that's why we're out here. That's true. These men and women that died for this country to stop communism being spread across this country is being infiltrated in this country right now through the legal process and the electoral process. Are we just scared that shit? There was a consensus that there was going to be a big rally, a, quote, wild protest, unquote, on January 6th, the day Congress certifies the Electoral College results. And there certainly was a wild protest. To publicize the event, Alexander set up the website wildprotest.com. And let's not lose sight of the fact that Ali made a lot of money here. This is from Mother Jones's story, Meet the Operatives Who Profited from January 6th. New evidence shows how political professionals made big money organizing the rallies that preceded the riot by Dan Friedman. Stone may have coined Stop the Steal, 
But Ali Alexander, a far-right activist with past convictions for financial crimes, effectively seized the slogan in the days after Trump's defeat. Alexander launched his own Stop the Steal entity as an LLC in November 2020. Unlike other rally organizers who solicited donations from Trump fans, Alexander never set up a nonprofit. He thus had almost no requirements to report his funding. Using a personal website and later the Stop the Steal webpage with a donation link, Alexander raised money directly. Alexander brought in more than $500,000 in the weeks preceding January 6th, a person familiar with his fundraising said. Alexander told the committee in a December 2021 interview he didn't know how much money had been raised in late 2020 because a bank account he controlled had been shut down. He didn't respond to inquiries. Yet again, Alexander found a way to really get paid. Remember, for Ali, if it doesn't make dollars, then it doesn't make sense. And it's replicated on the other side. This is we the people. The growing frustrations of the government and what's happening now is exactly what I've warned about. I've said that we need to make fair elections and transparent counting so that the people do not feel like the last resort is public demonstrations like this. Now, I want to say something. I don't disavow this. I do not denounce this. This is completely peaceful, looks like so far. And there are a couple of agitators that I obviously don't endorse, but this is completely peaceful. The events of January 6, 2021, changed the United States of America forever. Thousands of Trump supporters stormed the United States Congress, causing untold amounts of damage and at least one death. The goal seems to have been to shut down the electoral vote count and to give Trump a pretext to invoke the Insurrection Act and declare martial law. So far, over 1,200 people have been criminally charged for their involvement in what can only be called an insurrection. Some of the ringleaders, including the heads of both the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, were convicted of seditious conspiracy and will be spending decades behind bars. And Ali was right in the middle of the entire thing. Conservative activist Ali Alexander, flanked by his attorneys as he walks into his deposition on Capitol Hill Thursday. His team carrying boxes of records for the House Select Committee investigating the Capitol riot by Trump supporters. We provide the committee uh, with thousands of records, hundreds of pages. And, you know, unfortunately, I think that this committee has gone way too much into our personal life, way too much into my First Amendment. But I do recognize that they have a legislative duty to conduct. And so we're here to cooperate. Ali's role in these events has been somewhat murky. We know that he organized a lot of the protests, revived Stop the Steal, and registered the wildprotest.com domain. He also made plenty of inflammatory statements about what he hoped would happen as a result of the protest. In one video from early January 2021, Ali speculated that being successful on January 6th might lead to a civil war. In the same video, he said he'd rather see the White House burn down than have Biden enter it. If Joe Biden is in the White House, which I don't think we should let him in the White House, I don't think under any circumstances Joe Biden should be allowed to enter the White House. Under none. Under none. There's no circumstance that I think is legitimate that Joe Biden should enter the White House. <clears throat> I think the White House should burn down, you know, and I'm not saying that it, I'm not telling anyone to, but I'm just saying I literally believe that a bolt of lightning should hit the White House and light it on fire before it's handed over to that Beijing bottom 
bitch Biden. Okay? I believe that wholeheartedly. Now, Alexander's attorney said his comments about the White House were, quote, in jest, unquote. But we know this is a thing for these people. It's just a joke, bro, is one of their favorite walkbacks when they don't want to take responsibility for their words. So it's clear that Ali was quite involved in the planning and publicity. What's less clear is what role he may have had as a liaison between sympathetic members of Congress and the other planners of the insurrection. Ali himself has made multiple contradictory statements to various outlets regarding his level of involvement. For example, when he testified in front of the January 6th committee, he had this to say in regards to whether any members of Congress were involved in the planning. But Alexander, who led the crowd in chants of victory or death, maintains he played no role in the violence that day, also denying he coordinated the event with members of Congress. So this evidence actually exonerates those members. This evidence actually exonerates me. But on December 28th, 2020, he said the following on a live stream. Another great sign is that January 6th, which is crazy. I'm one guy, but I'm the guy who came up with the idea of January 6th when I was talking with Congressman Gosar, Congressman Andy Biggs, and Congressman Mo Brooks. So we're the four guys who came up with a January 6th event, hashtag do not certify. And it was to build momentum and pressure and then on the day change hearts and minds of Congress peoples who weren't yet decided or saw everyone outside and said, I can't be on the other side of that mob. He then went on another live stream on January 2nd, 2021, and claimed that he was working with Congressman Andy Biggs to pressure senators not to certify the vote. Who started the hashtag? Who worked with Congressman Mo Brooks to whip up votes in the House? Congressman Paul Gosar to whip up votes in the House. Congressman Andy Biggs to not only whip up votes in the House, but also let me know who the soft senators were because he briefed them in the steering committee. Boom. Now, Congressman Biggs and Brooks deny all of this. Biggs' spokesperson went as far as to tell CNN, quote, Congressman Biggs is not aware of hearing of or meeting Mr. Alexander at any point, let alone working with him to organize some part of a planned protest, unquote. The spokesperson added that Biggs, quote, did not have any contact with protesters or rioters, nor did he ever encourage or foster the rally or protests. He was focused on his research and arguments to work within the confines of the law and established precedent to restore integrity to our elections and to ensure that all Americans, regardless of party affiliation, can again have complete trust in our election systems, unquote. That's beautiful. And I'm sure he's telling the truth, just like I'm also sure he was telling the truth when he denied asking Trump for a pardon for any January 6th related events. This is from the Arizona Mirror. Representative Andy Biggs, Republican from Gilbert, this week denied that he sought a pardon from then-President Donald Trump for any part in connection with the January 6th assault on the U.S. Capitol. Big statement Thursday night came in response to video testimony earlier that day to the House committee investigating the January 6th attack. During that hearing, former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson named Biggs as one of several Republican lawmakers who sought pardons before Trump left office. Biggs, who has refused to cooperate with a subpoena from that committee, called Hutchinson mistaken in her testimony, which he said was, quote, deceptively edited to make it appear as if I personally asked her for a pardon, unquote. 
Biggs did not respond to requests Friday to elaborate on that denial. Shocking. Now, Ali did end up testifying in front of the January 6th commission, and it's a great question as to what he actually told them or if he gave anyone up, but it's pretty clear that he was one of the key people behind the insurrection. After that, Ali went to ground. He would disappear for weeks at a time, popping up with the occasional paranoid live stream about the globalists, the J6 committee, the mainstream Republicans, and how they were out to get him, as well as comparisons to the persecution of Jesus, as well as the ever-present appeals for money. You cannot kill me and separate me from my movement. I am the father of dragons. The father of dragons. I red pill celebrities. I create nationwide movements. I make members of Congress shake. And I'm telling you, if that muscle bitch mentions my name in a neutral way, I will pluck her from Congress. So now I just want everyone, everyone in the world to dare me. Just dare me. Because for the first time in a 15-year career, I owe no one nothing, nothing. And I have access to everything. They thought that they could contain my power levels. I am playing dumb. I am playing crazy, a lot like Jesus did. People will come to learn the truth. And guess what? I mean, frankly, that's what I need to crucify me. That's why you're going to see both sides try to come together to crucify me. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. Jesus was a carpenter, and I've got a motherfucking machine gun. These motherfuckers thought I would talk to them. I was talking to the future because I'm a fucking time traveler. I wasn't talking to the fucking committee. They're dead. They're like, whoosh. You know, these people died a while ago. I came back in time to talk to dead people, you know? So, you know, here I am talking to the future and people don't, they didn't even realize I knew how to talk into the transcript. I knew how to talk into the transcript. I knew when to talk over them. I knew when it would frustrate the court reporter. I knew when not to talk over them. I knew when to wait. I knew when to say something they thought that they could lick their lips on and then finish the sentence with, I don't know, or that's the best of my recollection, or start a sentence, I don't know. But thinking about it, if I had to form an opinion today, it would be, boom. He also had a feud with Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene over her vote for Kevin McCarthy for House Speaker in 2023. And, oh boy, did that ever get lit. I will not suffer this harlot. I will not be taught vows and loyalty, commitment from a whore. You have got me mistaken for some damn fool, and a fool, Ali Alexander, has never been called. In the coming days, I'm going to reveal that Marjorie Taylor Greene, in my summation and the summation of lawyers, committed a crime. That crime is going to be handed to the state of Georgia. And the state of Georgia will decide whether they adjudicate that crime or not. The House Ethics Committee and House Rules 
must expel Marjorie Taylor Greene when this evidence comes to light. Ho, go home. I am done with you. You are lukewarm. I am spitting you out of my mouth. You played me and no more. He also did some research into time travel. What if I told you that all of us are capable of traveling? Well, not all of us because you're not smart enough, but... What if I told you that there are a lot of people capable of time traveling? They just don't know it. What if I told you that time traveling is easier than you think? Uh, It requires a lot of discipline and no machines. And he blamed Donald Trump for the plight that he found himself in because he sacrificed everything for Trump and Trump won't even call him back. Again, Trump didn't call me. There's still some time left, by the way. It's still December. But Trump hasn't called me, and I gave up my whole life. I literally had to leave my house because Antifa knew where I lived and gave me credible death threats. I lost everything for Trump. Everything. And I'm not like Nick Fuentes or Alex Jones where I can just re-spin up my platform. I lost everything for Trump. I lost everything for you and your voting rights. And then some of my friends on Twitter had the audacity to be silenced while I suffered. I'm bringing the hurricane to our shores in 2023. And you will all know my ideas because I said so. Because God said so. But at least he's free. Honestly, he didn't sound well at all during this period. I remember listening to a few of these streams occasionally, and I would catch myself feeling almost sorry for the guy. It seemed like the whole experience broke him mentally. But this is Ali, and history has shown us he is nothing if not persistent. You keep up the good fight, and and we'll all be back on Twitter in a few weeks. (laughs) Yeah, as you said, we got some scores to settle. Oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> well, a lot of those people are unemployed now, so ha, ha, ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They became never Trumpers, unemployed. I red-pilled the most famous rapper uh, in all of human history. I started a riot for the sitting president of the United States. Kiss my black ass. <laughs> Rock on, brother. Somehow, Ali Alexander got hired by rapper Kanye West, along with Milo Yiannopoulos and Nick Fuentes, as some sort of advisor to his abortive Yay 24 presidential campaign. This coincided with Kanye's infamous appearance on Infowars with Alex Jones, where he combined his anti-Semitic rants with some kind of bizarre performance art involving a fishnet and a bottle of Yahoo chocolate milk drink. It was bad. It was bad for Trump to meet with... (laughs) Okay. I had no idea your voice is going to sound like that, Netanyahu. Ali was also on the show, offering his suggestions about camera angles and telling Laura Loomer to quit calling Kanye while they were live on the air. No, I'm not kidding. This was truly one of the more bizarre spectacles you'll ever see. Let's bring in Ali Alexander, who helped get this done. Ali, I've known you for years, but this is quite the broadcast. This is definitely, so far in 2022, the biggest broadcast of the year. (laughs) This is it. Yeah, don't put this on me, Ricky Bobby. 
That's right. Ahead, uh, if you're not first, you're last. Come on, uh, Ali, you're on air. Give us your take on no, this. No, no, I mean, I, I, this is great. Look, I love everybody on screen, and, and I love them, and I like them, and I frankly, I endorse them. And I think that what Owen said is absolutely right. It's like you can look at this interview, and you can be triggered. You know, you can engage your ego and say, uh, uh, yay, endorsed genocide, when he didn't. You could look at this broadcast and say, uh, Nicholas Fuentes is a 23, 24-year-old, you know, secret dog-whistling KKK Nazi. But that's also not the case. You could say that Alex Jones and Owen Schroyer are actually platforming hate. But that's not what's going on at all. And I think what's powerful about this broadcast, and I really think that we're making narrative history, is that we're breaking the Overton window. The Republican establishment sold us out. Con the conservative movement sold us out. The churches, they closed. So when we looked for leadership on the right, there was none. Okay, when Owen Schroyer got charged, when Ollie Alexander got sued and investigated, Alex, when you got sued, did we get a call from Mar-a-Lago saying, hey, I'm a billionaire and I want to I help fund what you guys have been through for me? No, we didn't. So here we are left with the last option on InfoWars, the home of the resistance, and we're a bunch of pseudo-celebrities with one celebrity saying, okay, well, then we're just going to break the chessboard. We're getting off your chessboard because it is rigged. It's rigged by Lucifer. It's rigged by the Satanists. It is rigged by the Jewish mafia, and people don't want to say that. It's rigged by the Marxists and the leftists and all of these people. And it's actually, frankly, rigged by people who would, you know, betray Christ within the church, the apostates. I'm not going to suggest you go watch it because it's the kind of thing that you can't unsee. And believe me, you'll want to. Unfortunately, the dream team that Kanye surrounded himself with couldn't last, and Ali fired Milo from the campaign. Milo was furious and decided to retaliate in true Milo fashion. One thing you got to know about all of these people is that they all keep dirt files on each other. So, while Ali was dishing out receipts to paint Yiannopoulos as having spent campaign money inappropriately, Milo decided to go way back into the archives and drop what can only be described as a nuke. You see, for years there were rumors about Ali's sexuality, and he wouldn't be the first GOP closet case by a long shot, but evidently it got worse. Milo was able to produce witnesses who claimed that they had been promised money, jobs, and political favors for sending explicit photos to Ali. Now, this is scummy, but several of them were underage, and Ali was definitely aware of this. He tried to cover his tracks by using Signal's disappearing message feature, but some of it took place on Snapchat. This was enough to make Kanye fire him, and Nick Fuentes ended up having to disavow Ali. And that was that. Ali went dark on Telegram on April 18th, 2023. Not a word from him for the next six months. And then, on December 9th, he's back and posting again like nothing ever happened. This time, he's mainly focused on January 6th, which is probably fair since he spent as much time as anyone making it happen in the first place. One very interesting thing I noticed when I was researching all of this is that his Telegram channel has been scrubbed from November 2020 till mid-January 2021. Can't imagine why. So you ultimately need someone... The reason why we talk about the hero's journey or the transcended figure, the Gandhis, MLKs, the Jesus, the Socrates, the Ali Alexanders, the Yays, the Nick Fuentes is because there's something wrong with us. We enjoy this world, but we have trouble fitting into it. 
And our trouble fitting into it is what keeps us mostly uncompromised. And so we're not mm -hmm. free of sin. We're not whatever, but we don't end up getting compromised because we would rather be a martyr. So it seems like there's really nothing you can do to get yourself completely banned from MAGA and GOP politics. At least not when you're Ali Alexander, who proves once again that he is indeed the bad penny of Republican political operatives, who truly believes that he is a great man, that he is born to be king, and that the world will never truly understand his genius. And maybe he's right. Just wait six months, display an absolute lack of shame, and you're back in. God bless America. Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can find us on the web at didnothingwrongpod.com. Please make sure you subscribe to get our content straight into your inbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at GrizzaBJJ, G-R-Z-A-B-J-J, as well as DNWPod. We're extremely grateful for paid subscriptions and donations that allow us to keep doing this important work. Thanks, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.